In Jeremiah chapter 40, we pick it up after the nation uh, of uh, Judah, the southern kingdom, had been carrying, carried away captive by Babylon. And so imagine someone coming in and conquering the United States of America, like we talked about last week. You know, these guys from whatever, China, Russia, North Korea, I, I don't know, is this so crazy to even think about it? But they came in to the White House and they sat in the Oval Office and they took over. And then they send their soldiers out, raping women, killing people throughout the nation, and then uh, just carrying them captive to their country and leaving only the poorest in the land. So that had happened to the nation of Judah uh, in 722. It happened to the northern kingdom. And in 586, it happened to the southern kingdom. And so we got to know God does judge sin. You guys got to know that, right? Uh, you read the book of Genesis chapter 6. You guys remember Noah's Ark. Only eight people survived. You know, you look at what God did to Egypt. You look at what God has done throughout history. And so, you know, we're, we're, we're doomed to repeat it if we don't learn from it. God doesn't want to judge you, but we have to make sure that we are hidden in Christ and that we live a life that is obedient to him. And so we learn a, a lot of lessons as we go through the book of Jeremiah. I think it's very applicable to our nation today. It's kind of funny. The title of the study is The Foolish Governor. And I'm, I don't know if we live in, I don't know if there's any other state in the United States of America has a more foolish governor than we do. You know, and, and the guy thinks he's all that. Who knows? Maybe he thinks he's going to be president one day. But the things that he's doing that are against God that are against the Bible, are horrible, what this man is doing. And he thinks, you know, he's all bad. And he thinks he's, you know, going to get away with it. And one day, he's going to stand before God, and he's going to give an account. The, the leaders of our land, politicians, they don't realize that God is the one that put them there. And so they have to submit to the Word of God. They have, to, they have this heavy responsibility to lead in a godly way. But unfortunately, we don't see that today. And so today's study, it has to do with that. We're going to see and some lessons uh, along the way. Look at chapter 40 in verse 1. It says, The word that, that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after, after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Ramah. When he had taken him bound in chains among all who were carried away captive from Jerusalem and Judah, who were carried away captive to Babylon. And the captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, The Lord your God has pronounced this doom on this place. Now the Lord has brought it and has done just as he said, because you people have sinned against the Lord and not obeyed his voice. Therefore, this thing has come upon you. So God had been saying that he was going to judge the southern kingdom of Judah. And this, even this pagan guy, and again, it doesn't seem like he's a believer. Maybe he's a proselyte. We're not sure. But he, even he knew that it was a fulfillment of the word of God. And you guys know that, right? That God always fulfills his word. And one day we're going to look back or we're going to see everything being completed. We know Jesus is coming again. Uh, one day we will be with him in heaven forever. God will judge all sin. God will make every wrong right justice. 
Satan's going to be cast into the lake of fire. I mean, just whoever's name is not written in the book of life. I mean, all these things that we read about in the book of Revelation, um, we're going to see come to pass. And so I pray that you know that about his word. And this is why I encourage you. I, I, I pray that you're reading the Bible. You know, unfortunately, I think today, nowadays, people like to watch a lot of television. Now, again, I don't want to judge you. That's a personal conviction that you have. God will show you the divine details on how much TV, if any, that you should watch. But, man, be really careful with that because sometimes you'll see people watching TV or looking on their phones and computers and iPads for hours. And and you ask them, hey, how much uh, of the Word of God have you read? You know, because this is food for your soul. This is truth in the land of lies. This is alive. That's why I'm so glad that you guys are here even on a midweek service, you know, to take in the word of God. Because every single jot, every tittle will come to pass. Everything the Bible says. And Joshua had said this to the people back in Joshua 23, 14. He said, behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth. In other words, he was going to die. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God has spoken concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. And we will be there in glory. Every single word will come to pass. And those who don't accept the Lord will be there in condemnation and everlasting judgment. You see, that's the power of his word. Jesus said in Matthew 5.18, Assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. And that's the smallest Hebrew letter, the smallest Hebrew grammar point. And we're talking about commas, so to speak, or whatever it is, the, the little symbols there in the Hebrew. Everything in this word will come to pass. And that's why I pray, you guys, that you would love the Bible. You, you learn it. You live it. This is a revelation of God. It's a revelation of his truth. This guy right here, Nebuzaradan, He told uh, Jeremiah, your word was true. God's word was true. It all happened. They got judged. Just like God said, they were going to get judged because they continued to live in sin. And so God would deal with them. God disciplined his people. And so, you know, that's what happened to them. But, But look what happens to Jeremiah. After 40 years of faithfulness, his word finally came to pass. And look what happens to him in verse 4. And and now look, this guy says, I free you. I like that. I free you. This day from the chains that were on your hand. If it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, come. And I will look after you. But if it seems wrong for you to come with me to Babylon, remain here. See, all the land is before you. Whatever it seems good and convenient for you to go to. Whatever, wherever it seems good and convenient for you to go, go there. Now, while Jeremiah had not yet gone back, Nebuzaradan said, Go back to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon has made governor over the cities of Judah, and dwell with him among the people. Or, or go wherever it seems convenient for you to go. So the captain of the guard gave him rations and a gift and let him go. And then Jeremiah went to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, to Mizpah and dwelt with him and among uh, the people. 
And so Jeremiah was faithful for 40 years. He didn't really see like the blessings or the ramifications of his faithfulness as much until now. And so the Bible says this, uh, don't grow weary in doing good for in due season you will reap if you don't lose heart. Maybe you're here and you've been a Christian faithful for many years and you're wondering, Lord, you know, I still don't see like the, the benefits of it. You know, maybe you're expecting certain things or God had given you a certain promise. Here was Jeremiah for 40 years. He was faithful. And now when the word comes to pass, he found favor, which is kind of like a picture of grace. He found favor and he found freedom. And this guy says to Jeremiah, hey, you know, go wherever you want. You want to go with us to Babylon? I tell you what, man, there's some good food there, you know, and some nice sights. And it's kind of like the fancy land of the day. And, you know, I'll take care of you, Jeremiah. Come with me. Uh, or I guess you could stay here if you want. Now, it's going to be a tough life because just the poor people, the farmers uh, were left in the land. He says, you can choose to stay. And Jeremiah's kind of, you know, probably thinking I'm going to stay. And so Nebuzaradan says, well, then just go to Gedaliah. Go to the governor. Now, the difference was prior to this, they had a king. But now there's no more king. Now they have a, a governor less powerful. And, you know, they didn't have their independence as a nation. Um, he tells them to go ahead and go to Gedaliah, the king. And so we read in verse 7. And when all the captains of the armies who were in the fields, they and their men heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, governor in the land and committed to him men, women, children, and the poorest of the land who had not been carried away captive to Babylon, they came to Gedaliah at, at Mizpah. And so these are kind of like the raiders, not the Oakland raiders or the Las Vegas raiders. I like the Raiders, sorry. Um, not them, but these are those guys, those soldiers that are out there. Uh, they survived uh, the captivity. Um, they were out there. I don't know if they escaped or they were kind of out in caves prior to. But they, they heard, okay, there's a governor in the land. And so we're going to see uh, that the soldiers come back. It says in verse 8, and then they came to get a lot at Mizpah, which is interesting because Mizpah is kind of like the place where they all, this, it all started. You, know, you go to the book of Judges, or you go to 1 Samuel, and there's kind of like, I believe in my heart, God wanted to give them a new beginning. And maybe you're here tonight, and that's what God's telling you, like, hey, maybe you've blown it, but God is the God of the second chance, the fat chance, the slim chance. I mean, he loves you so much, and he's ready to give you a new beginning. And so Mizpah, it kind of represents that. And so it says in verse 8, Then they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, Johanan, and Jonathan, the sons of Korea, uh, Sarahiah, the son of Tanhumeth, the son of Ephi, the Netaphathite, and Jezaniah, the son of Maacathite, they and their men, and Gedaliah, the son of Hikam, the son of Shaphan, took an oath before them and their men, saying, Do not be afraid to serve the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. God had been saying that to Jeremiah through Jeremiah. You know, just accept the discipline. Accept the discipline that I had to give to this nation. 
these guys were coming back and maybe they were wondering, hey, is the governor going to be cool with us? Because, you know, we were out there. We didn't submit to the Babylonians then. And so I wonder if the governor will let us come in and, you know, Mizpah start over again. And, and the governor said, yeah, that, that's fine. Come on in. Uh, we'll start over as a nation. But you have to be submissive to the discipline that God has pronounced on our nation. You have to be submissive to that and, and yield to Babylon. And here's what, it, what he says. It will be well with you. God has this life for you guys. It's amazing. If we just would be obedient, uh, I'm not saying it's easy, but it's the best thing for you. And so he, he's speaking to these guys in verse 10. As for me, I will indeed dwell at Mizpah and serve the Chaldeans who come to us. But you gather wine and summer fruit and oil, put them in your vessels and dwell in your cities that, that you have taken. Likewise, when all the Jews were in Moab among the Ammonites and Edom and who were in all the countries, heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant of Judah and that he set over them Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan. Then all the Jews returned out of all the places where they had been driven and came to the land of Judah to Gedaliah at Mizpah and gathered wine and summer fruit in abundance. So, so the soldiers are, are returning, these guys, um, raiders or whatever, and the refugees are returning. And, you know, it, we, of course, you know, when it comes to wine, you guys, all, you know, know we can't be drunk, right? But, but it's representative of uh, a blessing. It's representative of, of this opportunity for joy, the, the abundant fruit. I believe God is kind of setting something in front of them that's saying, hey, I had the discipline, but I, I'm ready f- to bless you with a new beginning. And, and, I, and I get excited about stuff like that. You know, I get excited because I know there's different types of people here. There, there's some that maybe you're not a Christian at all. And you got to know God loves you. He died for you. Jesus uh, said, if you believe in me, today can be the day that you're saved, free, forgiven, and you can know for sure that if you were to die, you go to heaven. And I was tripping out the other day. This I don't know if it was a, 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 an athlete, professional athlete, 23 years old, he died. And I'm like, man, why, how is this happening? These crazy, none of us knows when we're going to die. But then there are those who I think as Christians, if you were honest, if you were honest, you would know. You would say, I haven't really been living completely for God. And God is saying, I, 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 I love you. I got this amazing life to offer you. If only you would live for me. It's time. Start praying the way you're supposed to pray. Well, you're, you're too busy to pray? If you're too busy to pray then you're too busy. Something's wrong. You know, it's time. You know, whatever. You failed a, a thousand times. I can point out a few people here tonight, and I'm like, oh, man, I think they failed a million times. But I see God doing a new, powerful work in their life. That God is able to do that. All you have to do is say, okay, Lord, I... I I yield myself to you because this is a new beginning. These soldiers that were out there and these uh, refugees that were from all the different nations, you know, Ammon and, and, and Moab and Edom, um, they're, they're all coming back. 
And so we read in verse 13, it says, Moreover, Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were in the fields came to get Eliah at Mizpah and said to him, now again, they're talking to the governor. Do you certainly know that Baalis, the king of the Ammonites, has sent Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, to murder you? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, did not believe them. And then Johanan, the son of Korea, spoke secretly to Gedaliah in Mizpah, saying, let me go, please, and I will kill Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and no one will know it. Why should he murder you so that all the Jews who are gathered to you would be scattered and the remnant in Judah perish? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, said to Johanan, the son of Kariah, you shall not do this thing, for you speak falsely concerning Ishmael. That's an interesting thing. This guy Ishmael, he's sent from the nation of Ammon, and he's, we're going to see he was sent from that guy to kill Gedaliah. And we're going to talk about why in just a second. So this guy Johanan, he tells them, he says, hey, this guy is here to kill you, uh, Mr. Governor. And what does the governor do? The governor just doesn't believe him. Now, that's an, an irresponsible leader. That's an irresponsible leader. And now, 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 some leaders, they're paranoid of everybody. We're not supposed to be that way. We're not supposed to be paranoid of everybody. But, but some leaders, uh, they're just oblivious to potential dangers as well. And, and so if you're a leader... Uh, and it is, leadership comes in many different ways. We have to make sure that we are, are diligent in, in leadership. I think it's Romans chapter 12 in verse 8. It says, uh, he who leads with diligence. So Romans 12, if you read that section right there, it talks about the different gifts that people have. And, you know, you do it with your, your heart. Are you a leader? If you're a leader, you have to do this carefully. That word right there, diligence, it speaks of you know being responsible. I like the passage in Judges chapter 5, verse 2. It says, when leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. See, leaders are supposed to lead. And that can be a spiritual leader, a pastor, an overseer of a ministry. It can be a, a father who's considered the head of the home. It can be in different ministries, different places. I mean, think about this, you guys, the influence that you have. Some of you ladies, you're amazing leaders. But we have to make sure we take, this, uh, these, take these things seriously. We, we can't be paranoid, but we should be informed. If someone came up to me and said, hey, Manny, um, this guy that's here, he wants to kill you. You know, I'm a pretty gullible guy. You can ask my wife. I'm pretty like a mellow fellow. And I'd be like, you know, there is a part of me that would say, you know what, God's going to protect me. You know, it ain't no thing. And, and there is that part of me that by nature, that's who I am. But I've read the Bible enough to know that that's not the conduct of a responsible leader. You know, there's a really cool proverb um, over in Proverbs 25 two. It said, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. 
So it's an interesting proverb uh, making a contrast, like the glory of God is to conceal a matter. And that can mean two things. It can mean how God hides our sins. Isn't it beautiful? How he doesn't see your sins when you are in Christ. He conceals it, you know, and so it's cast as far as the east is from the west. It could mean that. It could also mean like just how um, if you were to take a, a microscope and look into a living organism, just the beauty of the design, and it's kind of like God's concealing it, the glory of God concealing it, but it's the glory of man to search out a matter. And and that, what that's in reference to is us being able to investigate things, us being able to look into things, us having the responsibility to get the information. I mean, it's kind of cool. Sometimes you see these shows on TV where the detectives, you know, they go and they do their homework and they're looking and looking and boom, you know, they get the bad guy, right? It's kind of like that, you know, or us, maybe even with the Hubble telescope, being able to see the beauty of God's creation. We get to search out things. This is what the governor should have done. He shouldn't have just said, oh, you know, uh, you're a liar. Some people believe that, um, you know, Gedaliah, it kind of has it in his name, huh? He, he said to um, Johanna, you're a liar, you're a liar, you know. <laughs> this, this guy doesn't want to kill me, you know, it's no big deal. But, but he does. Look what, look what Johanna says right there. Again, if you look at verse 15, uh, the latter portion of it, why should he murder you so that all the Jews who are gathered to you, here it is, would be scattered and the remnant in Judah perish? You see, the, the leader, in, in this case, it was, he was critical. Man, it was an important place. You know, the Bible talks about that in Zechariah chapter 13 and verse 7. It's a fascinating verse. It says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered, and then I will turn my hand against the little ones. And that's just uh, an interesting passage revealing to us the principle of what happens when you strike the shepherd. And even Jesus quoted this passage, scatter the sheep, Right? And so this governor, he was not a good leader. And, uh, and so look what happens in, in verse 1 of chapter 41. Now it came to pass in the seventh month. Now this could be uh, years later, a couple of years later. Some say maybe even more, three years possibly. Because when you read Jeremiah 52, there were multiple uh, deportations. And so we're not sure. All I know is eventually Gedaliah, he let his guard down, right? And so verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, notice this, of the royal family and of the officers of the king. So we're talking about a descendant of David here, Right? And so who knows, maybe there was that motive that he didn't like this guy w was there. But, but he came with 10 men to get Eliah, the son of Ahikam, at Mizpah. And there they ate bread together in Mizpah, right? I mean, you're thinking this, they're friends, they're, they're grubbing together, they're dipping in the same sop, it's all good, right? But this says in verse 2, Then Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and the 10 men who were with him arose and struck Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, with the sword and killed him 
whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. Ishmael also struck down all the Jews who were with him, that is, with Gedaliah and Mizpah and the Chaldeans who were found there, the men of war. And, and it happened on the second day after he had killed Gedaliah, when as yet no one knew it, that certain men came from Shechem, from Shiloh, and from Samaria. This is just a little bit north there in Israel. Eighty men with their beard shaved, their clothes torn, having cut themselves. Um, that last part, the cutting of themselves, was probably not a good thing. Um, but they are coming to, to worship. It says, with offerings and incense in their hand to bring them to the house of the Lord. So they're really on their way to Jerusalem. Now there's two possibilities. Either they don't know that the temple has burnt, burned down. More than likely they do. And commentators say that they're still going to go to Jerusalem. There's still something special about that place. And they kind of wanted to worship the Lord. And so it says in verse uh, 6, Now Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, look at how, how evil this guy is. <laughs> went out from Mizpah to meet them, weeping as he went along. <gasps> he was all, you know, and it happened as he met them that he said to them, come to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. And who's going to refuse an invitation to go see the governor? And so it was when they came into the midst of the city that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, killed them and cast them into the midst of a pit or a cistern. He and the men who were with him Ten men were found among them who said to Ishmael, Do not kill us, for we have treasures of wheat, barley, oil, and honey in the field. And so he desisted or he abstained from killing them among the brethren. Now the pit into which Ishmael had cast all the dead bodies of the men whom he had slain because of Gedaliah was the same one Asa the king had made for fear of Baasha, king of Israel. This is about 300 years earlier. Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, filled it with the slain. And so Asa had made this. Uh, he was kind of, um, you know, wanting to save life because Israel was coming against the southern kingdom. So now what was intended to protect life is filled with dead bodies. And, and so you look at this right here. It says in verse 10 again, then Ishmael carried away captive all the rest of the people who were in Mizpah, the king's daughters, and all the people who remained in Mizmah, who Neb Nebuzaradan, the captain and the guard, had committed to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam. And Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, carried them away captive and departed to go over to, notice, the Ammonites. And so you wonder, well, why does this guy want to kill? Why did he want to kill the governor? And most Bible teachers believe that the reason is Prior to the Babylonian conquest of Jerusalem, you know, nations like Ammon and Tyre and Egypt and others, uh, Moab, they were in an alliance and they were like trying to get together to fight Babylon. And so you read about that actually in Jeremiah 27, 1 through, 11, 1 through 11. It was year 593 BC. So you're going way back then and they were kind of against Babylon. But um, what ends up happening is you know, they weren't able to stay together. Babylon had defeated Egypt. They, you know, flexed their muscles. And so Babylon came and they, con they conquered Jerusalem. They conquered Judah. And you want to know something? The, the Ammonites were happy about that. If you look at a map, you would see Ammonites just over here on the east side of, of Judah. 
And so they were happy about that because it wasn't them. And they were happy about that because that would keep the Babylonians busy for a long time. You know, they siege Jerusalem for years, you know, and then the whole, you know, carrying them away captive and dealing with them and all that kind of stuff. It would keep Babylon busy and away from the Ammonites. But now that things are beginning to settle down there, then now that, you know, Babylon might say, okay, well, we got Jerusalem where we want them to be. Uh, Judah is where we want under our thumb. Now we'll go to another nation. So what most people believe is the Ammonites sent this guy to just um, disturb the land. You know, you kill the governor who's submissive to Babylon, and what does that do? Now Babylon is like, okay, we've got to go back over there. We've got to go back to Judah. We've got to back, you know, take care of business there. And again, it's just their selfish way of protecting themselves by creating chaos in the land. And so that's the, that's the strategy of Satan, you know. And, and, you know, one thing I want to share with you guys is, you know, I, I don't know, I don't want to scare you, I don't want to freak you out, but you guys, you know, we're getting ready to watch the movie Nefarious, right? And you're like, why are we watching a movie? Why don't we just have a Bible study? That's how some people are, right? And, uh, and you know, it's kind of cool, to be honest with you. I like the fact that, that some movies now are, are being filled with biblical messages, because I will say this, and I've actually asked you guys this before. Uh, our kids, like the generation in the United States of America, how many of you uh, would acknowledge the fact that they are being framed, their minds and mentalities are being, um, um, what's that word, conformed by the movies? They go to the movies and they see whatever it is, Barbie and all these. I'm not saying they're all bad, but you guys know this stuff, right? And there's a message there when, you know, you got someone killing dolls, I mean, in the beginning of the movie. I think there's a, a message there. And so, believe it or not, believe it or not, they're, they're, they're shaping their hearts. They're shaping their mentality. They're shaping the way they think in maybe a subtle way. And so, it's kind of cool to have a movie and now... You're, you're kind of learning um, the way the enemy operates and so that you and I are not ignorant of his devices. Now, when he doesn't sleep, he doesn't take vacations. He is focused on his mission to take you down. I believe that there are enough demons to where there would actually probably be a, a demon specifically assigned to you. And they're watching you and they're like, well, how can I take them down or how can I keep them in their compromised Christianity? You know, I mean, it's this casual California, you know, I got one foot in the church, one foot in the world. And the devil's like, yeah, that's fine for now. Eventually I'll help you fall away. But all I'm saying is that this, this strategy of Satan here, the Ammonites, to ruin this new beginning that the Jews were having is just really incredible. It really is. And, and so um, I was telling Henry, we were going over that passage. You guys remember the passage where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail? Now I know when you guys read that verse, typically you're thinking, well, that's Jesus building his church. And if I storm the gates of hell, you know, that I'm going to be pulling people out of the fire, right? The gates of hell won't prevail. And that's probably what it means. But there's another uh, interpretation of that verse, because what did the leaders do at the city gates? You guys know, back in those days, what did they do at the city gates? 
in the city gates, the leaders would get together and they would actually strategize for war. So if, if you could visualize whatever the five demons strategizing how to take you down. You know, how to keep you down. And I, and I see that here. I, I see these guys coming in, and they got this plan, and we're going to go in there, kill the governor, create chaos in the land. The Babylonians are going to come back, and this is all going to happen. And so you know, the, what we have to do is we have to make sure we're not ignorant of Satan's devices, and we have to make sure that we are wearing the armor, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. You know, it says right there that we are to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil, the methodia, the schemes of the devil. If you're not praying, you know, Joshua made a covenant with the Gibeonites. Why? Why do you make a covenant with the enemy? Because he was not praying. And so, you know, you guys, this is not sophisticated. You don't have to go to a seminary and get a degree to learn that if you're not praying, you're not winning. And so we need to have this understanding because otherwise, you know, I believe that Gedaliah was a nice guy. I believe, oh, come on, let's not kill anybody. Dude, you're a soldier. You should have chopped his hair off, man. I mean, we're talking about spiritual warfare here. But he doesn't. And then this guy, Ishmael, he takes over. I mean, and then just everyone's affected by that. And the, the women are, are, he's carrying them away to Ammon. He's carrying them away to Ammon. But God gives them another chance. Maybe, how many of you guys have blown it like three times in your life? <laughs> Isn't it cool? God gives you another chance. And I'll tell you what, if you're here tonight, and not all of you are here, but if you're here tonight, <laughs> God is willing to give you another chance. Look what it says right here. But when Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were with him heard of all the evil that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had done, they took all the men and went to fight with Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah. And they found him by the great pool that is in Gibeon. And so it was when all the people who were with Ishmael saw Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces who were with them, they, that they were glad. And then all the people whom Ishmael had carried away captive from Mizpah turned around and came back and went to Johanan, the son of Korea. But Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, escaped from Johanan with eight men and went to the Ammonites. And so they were able to rescue the people. They come back to the land, but they're going to be heading to Egypt. Watch what happens. It says in verse 16, Then Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the captains of the forces that were with him took from Mizpah all the rest of the people whom he had recovered from Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, after he had murdered Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the mighty men of war and the women and the children and the eunuchs whom he had brought back from Gibeon. And they departed and dwelt in the habitation of Kimham, which is near Bethlehem. As notice it says, they went on their way to Egypt because of the Chaldeans, for they were afraid of them because Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, had murdered Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, 
whom the king of Babylon had made governor in the land. And, and so God has a remnant, and you're going to see the word remnant uh, frequently in this section right here. And he's going to want them to stay in the land. The, that's representative of, of his glory. I think in one sense, you guys, you're the remnant. I, I believe that. Uh, uh, we're living in a world where less and less Christians are going to church and definitely less and less Christians are going to a midweek. Less and less Christians are involved in serving in the ministry. Less and less Christians are praying and reading their Bible and having a heart to obey. And most of them are, 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 are heading in the wrong direction. So, so these guys right here, you know, they say, okay, we've escaped the hand of Ishmael. We just got to get out of town. Now they start heading towards Egypt. Now, do you guys know what Egypt is a typology of? The world. The world. And so watch what happens in verse 42. Now all the captains of the forces, Johanan, the son of Kariah, Jezaniah, the son of Hoshaiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant, since we are left but a few of many, as you can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. Isn't that cool? They go to Jeremiah and they're like, hey, Jeremiah, pray for us, man. Pray that the Lord will show us you know, how to walk, how to live our life. I mean, it sounds so awesome. Verse 4, and then Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard, indeed I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words, and it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you. I, I will keep nothing back from you. And I've always loved that about Jeremiah. He didn't hold back. Whatever God told him to say, Homeboy said, right? And so they said to Jeremiah, let the Lord be true and, a, and faithful witness between us. Now, now, this is now a vow. They're, they're now vowing. The Lord's a witness. We're making a covenant right here. If we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you, whether it is pleasing or displeasing, in other words, to us, whether it's good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. And so they're just saying, hey, Jeremiah, go and pray, and we're just making a vow, a covenant, that whatever God tells us to do, whether we think it's a good idea or not, we will do it. Now, now isn't that your heart, you guys? Isn't that your heart? You're like, Lord, whatever you say, I will do. Even if I don't, you know, I'm not sure uh, about this, Lord. You know, and, and that should be our hearts, you know, his word, God's wisdom to rule our life. And so yeah, it says in verse 7, Jeremiah goes, he prays, and it happened after 10 days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And then he called Johanan, the son of Kariah, all the captains of the forces which were with him, and all the people from the least even to the greatest. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. If you will still remain in this land, then I will build you and not 
pull you down, and I will plant you and not pluck you up. For, for I relent concerning the disaster that I brought upon you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. And I will show you mercy that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your own land. He says, I know you think that Babylon is already on their way and they're going to come and they're going to clean house. I know you guys got that, that, that logical way of thinking. And I know you're afraid. You're afraid. But obey God. Obey God. And watch the way that he will bless your life. And I think for all of us here, a lot of times what ends up happening, the reason why we have that tendency not to obey is somewhere deep deep down inside we're afraid we're afraid of something well i don't know if god will provide for me i don't know if god will protect me i don't know if this is really the best thing for my family you know and god is saying but i'll be with you and this is these are my marching orders right and so he does put his finger on the fact that they would be afraid And so it says in verse 13, Jeremiah says, But if you say, we will not dwell in this land, disobeying the voice of the Lord your God, saying, No, but we will go to the land of Egypt, where we shall see no war, nor hear the sound of the trumpet. And I heard there's a BJ's there. This is right there. Nor be hungry for bread. And there we will dwell. Then hear now the word of the Lord, O remnant. If you guys do that, Jeremiah says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, if you wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and go to dwell there, then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt, and there you shall die. So shall it be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to dwell there, they shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence, and none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, as my anger and my fury have been poured out on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so will my fury be poured out on you when you enter Egypt, and you shall be an oath, an astonishment, a curse, and a reproach, and you shall see this place no more. The Lord has said concerning you, O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day, for you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, Pray for us to the Lord our God, and according to all that the Lord your God says, so declare to us, and we will do it. And I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God. Notice it says, or anything which he has sent you by me. Now therefore know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence in the place where you desire to dwell. You know, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Some people want to go back to the world. Some people, even in the church, they never even really left the world. That's what it says in the book of Acts, chapter 7, in verse 39, whom our fathers would not obey but rejected, 
and in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. You know, I'm learning now, and I'm just it's getting a little bit more simple for me. I wake up every day, and you just never know. You've got to live your day like one day at a time. Okay, God, what do you have for me today? What is it? And, and then when he gives you the marching orders, and he says, Manny, you've got to stop doing this, or you've got to start doing that, and you start putting things into practice. You know, that's a simple message right here. Uh, Jeremiah was saying you guys went to church because you had like this aura about you that you were actually going to do what God told you to do. Like I'm here, you know, to, to hear the, 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 the details and then go out and live them. He says, but, but in your hearts, you, you never really intended to obey. They already had their minds made up. And so then one of the interesting things here, and we'll, well, don't worry, we're not going to do another chapter. You guys can go ahead and go like this. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> um, one of the things that is kind of cool, because you guys are praying about things, right? You're praying about things in your life, and you're actually asking God, Lord, make me more like your son. And, you know, um, he's giving you answers, but sometimes you don't hear right away. Jer- it took Jeremiah 10 days to hear the voice of God. Let me ask you a question. What do you think he did in those 10 days? He was seriously seeking God. I'll bet you there are some people in the church, they don't even seek God one day. Like, I really want to hear your voice. I really want to get your your guidance, God. Speak to me. You know, here's Jeremiah. He's just seeking the Lord for 10 days. My prayer, you guys, is that would be our heart, you know. He'll show you. I, I can't show you, but in that personal relationship that we talk about a lot, if you go there and you get on your knees and you ask the Lord to speak to you, he will. And what he'll do is he'll be, just give you um, the marching orders. And it might not be what you wanted. It might not be what you expected. It might not even be what you think is the right thing to do. But because of the fact that you trust God, like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, uh, you're going to find that that's the blessing. I mean, I can tell you a lot of stories, but I don't want to keep you guys too late. Um, but what does the Bible say? You guys know this, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Well, duh, common sense just says this. No, stop it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And what? He will direct your path. And it's kind of interesting because when you read the story right here, um, the first one, he told him, go and be safe. You should have killed the guy because he's going to kill you. Go and be safe. The second one was don't make the decision to be safe. Stay in the land. I know you might think you're vulnerable, but, but I'll protect you. See, what that means is that we don't put God in a box. That what it means is that we listen to him personally. And so let me give you guys a, a, a few things in conclusion, all right? All right, I forgot. I'm so sorry. I'm going to go over now. Um, conclusion. Uh, number one, I think we got a list right here, kind of like to walk away with. Uh, we are to be disciples of Christ. And, uh, and that's represented in the beginning of our study today in really being disciplined, really being obedient. 
Secondly, we're to be leaders for Christ. And we saw how, unfortunately, Gedaliah was not a, a, a good leader. Um, Romans 12, 8 says, lead with diligence. Uh, uh, Judges chapter 5, verse 2 says, it's wonderful when leaders actually lead. And then we're to be soldiers for Christ. I think that's who Johanan was. That's what Gedaliah should have been. Number four, let our love for the Lord um, be out of this world. Now, see, these guys, they want to go back to the world. But um, my prayer is that you don't have that in your heart. And there's a few things real quick. Number one, do not love the world. Number two, do not be friends with the world. Number three, do not be spotted by the world. And when it says don't be friends with the world, it doesn't mean that you can't have any friends who are unsaved. It's just talking about the worldly cultural mentality. First John five nineteen says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. You're not friends with that. Because otherwise you're going to get spotted by the world. Otherwise then you're going to love the world. Uh, Romans 12, 2 talks about being conformed to this world. And if you're not careful, you don't judge yourself. First Corinthians 6, it says you'll be condemned with the world. So don't say that you weren't warned. God shows, shows you blessing and he shows you cursing. The blessing is in a life that says Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Amen.